you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 14. We're continuing on with this series called Now. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what now? What now? He rose from the dead. We celebrate Easter. And then a lot of questions from some people arise of what is Jesus doing right now? And uh, we're going to look at a passage of scripture where Jesus reveals to his disciples what he's doing now. So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 14, we're going to look at that. And now we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. So let's read that. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the back of the pew. And uh, you can pull it out. If you don't own a Bible, please take that with you. It's our gift to you. We're excited. I still hear that awesome feedback. You guys hear that? That ting, ting. That's because I'm like really A-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D. And so like... Like, look, squirrel, okay, you know, and I'm constantly, um, and so I don't know, is that me here? I can just use this if you can't figure it out. John chapter 14, beginning with verse 1, Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you... Do you guys hear that? What's that? Do you guys hear that? I hear that. It's that squirrel. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you will be also, or you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray. Precious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is truth. We thank you, Lord God, that we can use this word, Lord God, in our lives. And it's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it divides between our bone and marrow and our soul and our spirit. Lord God, we thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We thank you, Lord God, that you know us, love us, and Father, you are coming back for us. And Lord God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that it is truth. And we thank you, Lord God, that you will use this, Lord, in our lives. Lord God, I pray, Father, that this morning, this church, that us as the church would not be hearers of the word only, but we'd be doers of the word. Lord, thank you for your word. We submit to you. We submit our lives to you. And as always, Lord God, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jesus is now preparing a place for his church. The question is, what is the place that he's preparing as he's talking to his disciples? The disciples here are emotionally distraught. And don't, don't take John 14 as kind of a separate but listen to this as a continuation of a discussion that he's having with his disciples. Because in John 13, remember, in Monday, Thursday, he washed their feet. And then all of a sudden, then you see Jesus looking and saying, I'm going to go away. I'm going to leave you. I'm going to die. And all of the disciples started to kind of have some insecurity. Now remember, they had been with Jesus for three and a half years. Jesus had called them and said, follow me. 
And so there's this process that's happening. And now all of a sudden, Jesus, after three and a half years, says, I'm leaving. And they're going, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to do? And Peter, in his response, says, hey, Lord, everybody might not follow you anymore, but I'm going to follow you. And Jesus says, before the night's over, you're going to deny me three times. Now all of a sudden... Jesus is calling out Peter. He's calling out the disciples and he's telling them he's going to leave and their anxiety levels just start to rise and their distress starts to rise and maybe some depression starts sinking in. And and I don't know about you, but I think that this is so appropriate in response to what Jesus is telling his disciples, but I think what God has to say to his disciples, what Jesus is saying to his disciples, totally fits with where we are today. Do you have anxiety? Do you sometimes get depressed? Do you look at what's going on in the world and realize I have no control of what's happening? And all of a sudden, you're going, wait a second, God. Wait a second, I I need something more. And their hearts are troubled. And Jesus gave them a list of why they should not be depressed or troubled or anxious. It's interesting, the Apostle Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind. What's interesting here is I think that we can live in anxiety. We can know the scripture and we can know it. But when something happens, the tidal waves of life, I call them, all of a sudden everything's great. And then all of a sudden a tidal wave crashes on you. And then all of a sudden you start feeling the anxiety. You start feeling the depression. You start feeling the stress. You start feeling of what's going on. And all of a sudden your heart is troubled and you don't know what to do. Well, there's three ways that Jesus dealt with the disciples' anxiety. And I feel like these three things are the very three things that we need in our lives. But as Jesus is talking to his disciples, he wants to deal with this in a way that's based upon not a quick fix, not a self-help book, but Jesus is dealing with it with an eternal perspective. Something that's not gonna just pass and, and, and along the way, but it's going to be something that is going to remain forever. So when Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled, believe in God. I was, my wife and I are ta- getting old. And, um, well, I am. She's not. She's staying forever young. Um, and we were talking. And so one of the things is, you know how, pa- I don't know if you guys know who our senior pastor is, Pastor Sean. He has readers And I'm right at the point now where I'm supposed to get these readers now, where I'm supposed to read. And I said, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it because I play and I fidget and and I get distracted. So I decided, and the anxiety has increased because I'm like, I can't see these words on the scripture. So I decided to get the Bible with the big text. 
because my anxiety was wrestling and I said, you know, I can't do the readers. I'm so distracted and I start fidgeting and playing with stuff. I was the little kid in school that was constantly doing something, you know, and then like rustling papers and all of that. And God blessed me with a son that is like just as much fidgety as I am. I'm sitting and my wife and my, so have you, my leg just goes sometimes and the table shakes and my wife like puts her hand on my leg and goes, stop, please. You're making me seasick. Because I'm, sometimes things just happen and I just start getting excited. And sometimes that excitement and energy turns to anxiety. Sometimes when I get the highs, then sometimes I get the lows too and it turns to depression. And, and when I'm depressed or when I'm sad or when something hits me or when I start to wrestle with something, and maybe that's you. Maybe you're wrestling with something here today. Maybe your heart is troubled by something that's happening. Maybe it's not old age, but maybe it's something else. Maybe, maybe it's a loss of a loved one, or maybe it's, it's something else. This text is for us. This text is to speak to us. Jesus is talking to his disciples. And as followers of Christ, we can look at this and we can go, wow. So there's three ways that Jesus dealt with the disciples' anxiety. And the first one was this. The first word that he gave them was believe. Believe. Let not your hearts be troubled. He didn't say sign up for a self-help book. He didn't say go get a counselor, although sometimes those things can be helpful. He said believe. Believe. If your heart is troubled, start there. Believe. What do you believe? Believe by faith in God and Jesus Christ. Believe. Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, believe in God. Believe also in me. Believe. It's interesting. I, I was reading um, different commentaries for this, and I kept coming back to this idea that the, the heart being troubled. What does that mean? It means that when you want to have the energy and you want to have the strength to go out, when you want to have that your, your, your energy fails you. And, you. and instead of going out in boldness, you go out in timidity, being timid. Unbelief makes cowards of us all. Because if we believe that no matter what happens, if we believe that Jesus is God, if we believe the gospel... Jesus is God. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus bodily rose from the dead. If we believe. Now the word here, believe, in the Greek, and I'm not going to get into this, but it's, it's not just believing on something, but it's believing into something. In fact, John 3.16, one of the known verses in all the scripture, Jesus, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him, in who? Christ, in him, the Son. And that little word in, in the Greek, it's actually translated into him. Not believing on him, but believing into him. And so when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he's saying, Believe in God, not believe on God. The difference is this little connection of believing, believing in something and believing on something. Now, I believe on Krispy Kreme donuts. I believe on them. I believe that when that hot and light, that, that light is on, I want to pull in. 
When the light's not on, you're like, ah, okay. But when the light is on, I want to pull in. But Krispy Kreme donuts doesn't make donuts so I can believe on them. Krispy Kreme makes donuts so that I can take them and put them in my belly. <laughs> Believing on something is knowing about it. Believing in something is actually taking it into your life. Whosoever shall believe into him. This idea of Christ, not knowing about Christ, but receiving Christ. John chapter 1, Jesus said, but as many as received him, John said, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. We don't believe on him, we believe in him. And Jesus is saying, listen, stop believing on, start believing in God. Unbelief makes cowards of us all. Luke chapter 8, verse 50, it says, But Jesus, on hearing, his answer, uh, hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. Now he's talking to, to Jairus, whose daughter is dead, and everybody's laughing at Jesus because Jesus said, She's not dead, she's only sleeping. And everybody laughs. Oh, Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about. He's not a doctor. And Jesus looks and says, Hey, you know what? Just believe. Fear destroys faith. When you look and you believe into God and who Christ is, then you can look at his word and you can say everything in this word is true and I can live my life according to this word and my life will be changed and transformed. We're looking at this. So Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Fear destroys faith. Mark chapter 4, verse 40 says, and he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? See, the, the relationship between fear and faith is this. The greater the fear, the lesser the faith. The greater the faith, the lesser the fear. And, and the reality is this. When you're in and believe into God and into Christ, then no matter what happens in this life, guess what? It's okay. Because it's only the first hundred years of this life that are hard. We have eternity to look forward to. And that's what Jesus was, was, was communicating to his disciples as he transitions. Believe in God. Because if you believe in God, then the gospel is true. And if the gospel is true, then guess what? Your life will be changed. And life not is not temporary, not this here planet now, but you have eternal life. Someone came up to me the other day and said, are you pro-life? And I said, Yeah. I go, well, why? I was having this conversation in Starbucks. And, and I said, yeah. And they go, well, why? And my response was, was this. Well, because Jesus was all about life. That's why he made it eternal. And you can have eternal life too if you give your life to Jesus. Ugh. It was the end of that conversation. See, Jesus made life eternal because of Christ. And that's the focus that he took. So what is Jesus doing now? He, he's, he's preparing a place. He prepared a place. So let me share this with you. There's two things. I think there's the now and not yet. He prepared a place, and he's preparing a place. 
okay? What do you, what do, what do you mean? What are you, what are you talking about, Pastor Andrew? Let me share this with you. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? This is the second thing that Jesus dealt with the disciples' anxiety. Not only did he tell them to believe, but he told them to focus. Focus. Focus on the fact that Jesus, on Jesus Christ is coming back for us, the church. Now, this is the now and not yet. Now, let me share this with you. Jesus is saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now, what's the place? Is the place a physical, actual place that Jesus is preparing? Now, don't get caught up in this where it says, in my father's house are many rooms. I know that the King James, I learned it when I was a kid, that it says, in my father's house are many mansions. And everyone's like, I'm going to get a mansion. I'm going to get a mansion. And, and, and my mansion is, is awesome. And, 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 you know, and, and then they tell the stories of like when people are going to heaven and, you know, there's their favorite sports team out there. And they're like, man, like, man, I can't believe that, you know, they, they have those flags out. And God's like, that's my house. I'm, not, I'm the fan of the, of, the, of the Washington commanders now, I guess, you know. <laughs> And every, you know, and that that, that makes that, that makes everybody sad, you know, kind of thing. And everyone tells these stories of everybody tells these stories of mansions. But let's let's think about it this way: what he's saying is, in my father's house are many rooms. Now, for you to understand this text, and for you to understand what it is, I want to give you kind of an idea of a Jewish wedding first century that the disciples knew very well. Remember Jesus' first miracle in John 2 was turning water into wine, okay? Praise God for that. And Jesus is talking to his disciples, and one of the things that he's doing is he's talking about something that they would know very well, this idea of a Jewish wedding. And I want to give you some background on this because I think it'll help kind of make this text come alive a little bit more. In first century Judaism, what would happen is the, the father and the son would go to the husband, I mean, to the, to the, the, the daughter of this man, and they would sit down, and, and the fathers would talk and said, my son wants to marry your daughter. Oh, okay. 20 camels. Okay. And then they would have this negotiation, and then they would say, okay, our kids can get married. That was the betrothal, Okay. And then the, the, the son would go and he would start to work and prepare a place for his bride. And he would start to work and to build. And he would build an apartment attached to the father's house. Okay? So the father's got the house and then he would build this really nice apartment. And he would make it lavish and he would work hard and he would fill it all together. He would get everything ready for his bride and he would make it perfect and he'd build it and he'd make it beautiful. He'd put food in there. He'd put all of these things in there. And when the father of the bridegroom, the bridegroom was ready, the father would tell the bridegroom, go get your bride. So you have this, this, this is first century. He's talking to the disciples and he says, go get your bride. And so Jesus is saying and using the same language of, in my father's house are many rooms. This idea that the father's house and that Jesus is going to prepare a place so that he could come back and get his church when it's time. 
And so he's preparing a place, an actual place. And all of a sudden, you have Jesus then telling his disciples, listen, there's many rooms, meaning this. Let me translate it. There's room for you. There's room for you. And it's based upon the belief. And so Jesus then is communicating. And so then in first century, when the bridegroom goes and gets the bride, usually the father tells him to come get the bride. This is so cool. Because as you're reading the return of Christ and when you're reading about when Christ returns, listen to the symbolism. It's usually at a time that's in the evening. It's usually at a time when there's, he, basically he says, okay, go get your bride. Then what the bridegroom does is he goes and gets his bridegroom. I mean, he gets his wedding party. And they, his, all his men, and they start beating drums and, and noise things and blowing trumpets and letting everybody know. And all of a sudden, what happens is you start, people start yelling, the bridegroom's coming, the bridegroom's coming. Get ready. And the bride Whatever she's doing has to drop everything and go get ready. And hopefully the bridegroom's going to take his time so she can prepare herself. And all of her maids that are in the wedding have to stop what they're doing and they have to run and they have to help her get ready. Now, remember the parable of the lamps? Remember when you're talking about the oil in the lamps and, and some, some were prepared and some weren't? Similar, just the same thing. The bridegroom was coming at night. They needed to have oil. They hey, give us some of your oil. No, 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 no. And then they go. The bridegroom comes and gets his bride, takes her to the house. They have a huge party. They shut the door, and everybody that's in is in. Pretty cool, huh? This is, think about this language. And then the bride, whatever, whatever state, when he comes to the door, she's got to come. And, his, and the bridesmaids have got to be there as well. And the groomsmen are there. And then they go. And then they have the ceremony. And then they celebrate. Two, three days. Read John 2. Remember when they ran out of wine and it was a huge disaster? And Mary's like, ah, oh, Jesus, you got to do something here. And then Jesus takes water and turns it to wine. And it's the best wine Think of that, and let me read this again in verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have go, told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? He's saying, I'm the bridegroom, you're the bride. I'm preparing a place for you, and I'm going to come and get you. But it all starts with this fact that you've got to believe. Not believe on, but believe in. And so focus not on the fact that I'm leaving. Focus on me, the bridegroom. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. It's not about the place, but it's about the person. I feel like so often we, our focus is shifted so much on the place. We're going to walk on streets of gold, and there are streets of gold. 
and the crystal sea. And you can read about it in Revelation of what heaven's going to be like. It's going to be the most incredible place. But think about this. Think about your perfect utopia. Think about no more pain, no more suffering, new bodies, all of that stuff. All your loved ones there. Everything that you want. You can eat your favorite food and never get full. Never get fat. Thank God. You get to enjoy everybody and everybody's kind and everybody's loving. And there's this just incredible joy all of the time. It's always sunshine and rainbows. Now imagine that place without Christ. Do you still want to go there? See, what makes heaven so special, what makes eternity so special is Christ. If Christ isn't at the center of your desire, but some utopian place, then you're missing out. Your focus is wrong. Like the pastor told me I was wrong. No, here's the deal. The Augustine talked about this, St. Augustine. He went, he, he, it's called Augustine's Challenge. And basically he said, if you could have anything, if God came to you tonight and said, I'll give you anything that you want, what do you want? Like he came to Solomon. And I was thinking about this. I'm reading this and I'm thinking, oh, I would ask for wisdom and knowledge. And, you know, I would, man, I'd ask for the same thing Solomon did. But the caveat was that you would never see the face of Jesus Augustine's challenge was this, then you asked for the wrong thing. What makes eternity in heaven so great? What makes this message to the disciples for those that were anxious and depressed was the fact that Jesus has got to be the source of our affection and love and treasure. What are you focusing on? Jesus is preparing a place for us now before he returns. And then the God the Father will tell Jesus, the bridegroom, to go get his bride. John 3, 29, Jesus is the bridegroom. John the Baptist talks about that. God the Father, obviously you could read that all through the scripture or definitely through the gospels. And you could see it all through the gospel of John that Jesus was sent by God to do what God wanted him to do. To get his bride. We're called the bride of Christ. 2 Corinthians 11.2. Revelation 21.9. Jesus is preparing a place for us now. He's our bridegroom. We're going to talk about next week how he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God making intercession for us. We're going to talk about that next week. I'm going to talk about this, this idea, but right now, Jesus is now preparing a place for us. And the place is one to come, but there's, some, uh, there's another place, and theologians discuss this all the time. The other place is the fact that Jesus is preparing the place that we are the place. What does that mean? It means this, that the Spirit of Christ dwells in us. That the place that he's prepared is us. Because Jesus died on the cross and bodily rose from the dead, therefore he sent, the Bible says, and it, it, read, read further in John chapter 14, he talks about the Holy Spirit, that I'm sending you the Holy Spirit, and he's going to come and guide you in all truth, and he's going to be with you, and I'm not leaving you as orphans, but I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. He's preparing us. 
That's the, the, that's the promise. The seal of the Holy Spirit is the promise of what's to come. The seal of the Holy Spirit in salvation is the promise of what's to come. That's the first preparation. The second preparation is the fact that he's preparing a place for us that we're going to go and be with him. Wait a second. How do you know this? John chapter 14, read on. Look what Jesus is saying. Verse 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Verse 17 of John 14, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Then read on further in Romans chapter 8, verse 9. It says, if anyone doesn't have the spirit of Christ, they don't belong to him. So if you say, wait a second, I don't have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have Christ. Because he's saying the spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit of God is the first preparation. He prepares us for eternity. And that's what the rest of our life is for. Once we come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that the rest of our life is in preparation for the place that he has for us. That's why the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for though outwardly I'm wasting away, yet inwardly I'm being renewed day by day. Though this body is failing, these eyes are failing, yet inwardly I'm being renewed day by day. Second is the focus, and the third is this. No. Jesus dealt with their anxiety, and he said, believe, focus that Jesus Christ is coming back for his church. And the last one is this, no. Know that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, the embodiment of truth and life. Jesus, when you're struggling with anxiety, ask yourself what you believe. Ask yourself where your focus is. I love Hebrews when it says, we fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Where's your focus? Is it on yourself? Is it on the things that God is doing or is it on Christ? And then the third thing is this, no. This is the part that I love because Thomas, you see Thomas saying, and you know the way to where I'm going because he's looking just for the place. Remember, you look in Acts chapter one when Jesus is about to ascend up into heaven and they go, Jesus, are you gonna establish your kingdom now? Like, where's the place, Jesus? We're ready. Jesus said, okay, okay. You need to understand. Thomas said, Lord, we do not where you are, you did not know where you were going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I hope you know this verse. I hope you've memorized this verse because it gives a lot of bad, it's a bad rap for a lot of Christians. People, for people that are not Christians, they hate this verse. Because what we're saying is the exclusivity of heaven and eternal life is reserved only for those who walk through and receive Jesus Christ. And people look at that and go, that's so exclusive. There's many ways to heaven. But they don't understand is this. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. He's the embodiment of truth and life. And this, this is the beauty of it. This is the most fair system ever devised by God. 
because it's not based upon who your parents are and what they did. It's not based upon how much money you have or don't have. It's not based upon how good you are or how bad you are. And if your good works outweigh your bad works, then maybe you're getting in. It's not based upon any of that. It's based solely on the fact of what you do with Jesus Christ. And to think any other way is to base it on something other than the person of Christ, the work of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the most fair. I talk to people all the time. We were, we were on a, uh, we were, we, I was over in, um, on a plane and I was having a conversation with somebody. We were getting, I was getting ready to leave Jordan, um, the country of Jordan, and I was going to Turkey. I was on a flight to Istanbul and I just had a, a brief conversation with this person and it was like midnight. So I was so tired and I had just preached my guts out for the last two weeks and I was tired, I was exhausted and I just have a brief conversation with this person. And, and this person was talking about being good enough and everything and and, and they, you know, and, and I was listening to this conversation, and I said, wow, interesting. It just made a comment, and then they said, well, what do you think? And I just said, how do you know that you're going to get to heaven then? And, they, and this is what they said, and we didn't have a chance to really unpack it, but this is what they said. They said, I'm hope, I hope that I'm going to heaven. I hope that I get there. I hope that I, that I do good enough. And it was so, I was so sad, and I just looked at it, and I said, well, I know. And they go, how do you know? Because of Jesus. And they didn't, man, they didn't want to talk about Jesus. Okay. I'm always looking for people of peace, not trying to fight a war. Jesus is the only way to heaven, the embodiment of truth and life. Jesus being the only way is by far the most fair system ever. It's not based upon your race. It's not based upon your religion. It's not based upon your gender. It's not based upon anything other than Jesus Christ who saves us. Truth. Jesus said, I'm the truth. He's the embodiment of truth. Universal truth must work for all or it is not truth. Think of gravity. All truth is God's truth. If someone tells you that this is their truth and you have your truth, then they are talking about opinions, not truth. Gravity works for all. Whether you believe it or not, it doesn't matter. If you jump off a building, gravity will take hold. Truth is truth. Most people determine their own opinion. Many base, many base their opinion or their truth, in quotes, on popular opinion. Well, everybody believes it, so it must be true. Well, 150 years ago, there was a lot of people in our country that thought slavery was okay, and they didn't make it true. It wasn't true. No, truth. Truth. And all truth is God's truth. Truth is what sets people free, Galatians 5.1. God doesn't make people slaves. He sets them free. Another example is climate change. Climate change is real. Climate changes all the time, but that doesn't mean that the earth is fragile and we need to light ourselves on fire to make a statement to this fact. The truth is God. 
And God says that the, the, the word of God says that the earth is going to be around another thousand years after Christ returns. So the earth is not that fragile. And so why would you light yourself on fire to try to demonstrate the point that climate change is real? Everyone says, well, I don't believe in God. I believe in science. Real science does not disprove the Bible. In fact, it only supports the empirical process. God's not afraid of our questions. Ask the questions. Be a doubting Thomas. The question is, though, is your doubt intellectual or is your doubt emotional? Because intellectually, intellectual doubt is really easy to address and deal with. Emotional doubt is very, very difficult. There's layers to that. I have a friend who lost his brother. And because of that, he doesn't believe in God. That's a difference than intellectual doubt. Then he comes up with the intellectual reasons. But the real issue is that God took his brother. That's, that's emotional doubt. The idea is universal truth is not an idea or a thought. It's, it, it's the word of God, but more than that, it's the personification. It's Christ. Christ is personified truth. You want to know what truth is? Look at Christ's life. And then finally, life. Life is the greatest gift that God has given to his children. That's why he made it eternal. Jesus is eternal life. He's walking, talking eternal life. Life through Jesus Christ takes the sting out of death and should be the hallmark of Christianity. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is the historical event that our eternal life is based upon and secure. If you don't believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, then you don't believe the gospel in its entirety. And so where are you this morning? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. John chapter 10, Jesus is talking to his disciples and some others, and he said, the only way that you can get to God is through the gate, and I am the gate. Jesus. And so if you're here today and you'd say, man, I've got a lot of anxiety, and I've never, man, I've never believed in Christ. I've never received Christ, believed into him then this morning, very simply, you just say, Jesus, come into my life and save me. Please forgive me for my sins, the things that I've done wrong. Because it's those sins that keep you. And what you're doing is you're acknowledging that God can forgive you of your sins, that he can save you. That's the beauty of the gospel. If you're here today and you need prayer, if you're here today and you're struggling with anxiety, if you're here today and you don't know the gospel, there'll be people up here underneath the screens that would love to take a Bible and pray with you. If you're here today and you're just saying, you know what, I, I do believe and I do have Christ, but I've forgotten or I've, I'm struggling and I just need someone to pray with, there'll be some people up here that would just love to just pray with you. It's not going to be a big deal. They'll be here after the service. As the worship team comes up, we're going to close out in prayer, but I, I don't want you to leave here without acknowledging that Jesus can forgive you of all of your sins, everything that you've ever done wrong, past, present, and future. You ask Jesus to forgive you, 
and you recognize and call upon the name of the Lord, Jesus said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10. Call upon Christ. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. This is where eternal life begins. When you receive Christ into your life, Jesus, come into my life and save me. Please forgive me for my sins. I believe that you died on the cross, that you bodily rose from the dead, and by faith I receive you into my life. And the Bible says that the Spirit of Christ will come and will seal that decision unto the day of redemption. Don't leave here without making that decision. If you're here and you're struggling with anxiety, listen, God's preparing a place for you, and he's prepared a place for you. And the place that he's prepared for you is so wonderful. It causes us to look. We're reading Pilgrim's Progress to our, our, our two younger boys. They call it the Celestial City, and it's the most wonderful place because it's where the king is. And, they, and little Pilgrim wants to be with the king, and he wants to be in the Celestial City. And it's where the place that little Christian wants to go and be there. And if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, man, I, I implore you, give your life to Jesus today. Let's pray. Precious Father, I pray, Lord God, you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, have people that are here, Lord God, that, that don't maybe don't know you, that they would have the courage to step forward, Lord God, as we sing. Just talk with the people underneath the screens and just say, hey, I want to know Jesus or I want to have a relationship with him. I, I want to be with him forever. I'm struggling with anxiety. I'm struggling with depression. I need you, Lord. Father God, I just pray, Father, right now for this church. I pray, Lord God, that you would just conform us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ, in this moment. And through the power of your Holy Spirit, work in the way that you and only work. We love you, God, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand up. If you need prayer, there'll be some people up here. But don't leave here without solidifying and securing that.